Well, a few weeks ago, I was leaving the eye doctor's office and something felt different. It felt a little weird. And then after a couple minutes, I realized I was driving without my contacts in. And I'm not one of these people that are like blind without my contacts, but you still probably, if you're on the road, want me to have my contacts in. So I pulled off to the side of the road and I popped my contacts in. Not sure why you aren't applauding. Like, if you realize where I started with contacts, the fact that I could put my contacts in on the side of the road is quite impressive. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if you wear contacts, if you are like me, the first week of having contacts is absolutely miserable. I remember when I was in the eye doctor's office for the first time and I finally made the decision, all right, I'm going to go with, with contacts. They said, well, you got to come back. There's an additional $20 office visit for contacts. I'm thinking, why would they charge 20 bucks to put contacts in? What a ripoff, whatever. All right, I scheduled that office visit. I went back, thought, hey, I'll be here for five minutes. I was at that office for an hour and a half. Finally, to get the contacts in my eyes for the first time, the doctor's assistant just literally forced them into my eyes with her fingers, forced the contacts into my eyes because I have sensitive eyes that match my soul. Uh, and so... <laughs> I'm not sure, not sure why you're laughing. Uh, but no, I, I have, I have incredibly, incredibly sensitive eyes. And so that first week I had contacts, I was miserable to be around. I was acting like a three-year-old. Brooke was like, I just want to go to dinner without you. I don't even want you to, to be, be with me. And it was, just, it was just rough. But now I've gotten to the point where I can put the contacts in my eyes. No problem. I can do it anywhere. Because I'm used to it, because what was uncomfortable and awkward at first is now something through repetition and something that I've done frequently, it's no big deal, and it's second nature. It's something that I can do easily. And this morning, we're going to be talking about prayer, and the same thing is true about prayer. If prayer isn't a discipline in your life, or it isn't something that you're actively doing or pursuing in your life, it is going to feel awkward. It's going to feel just weird. It's, it's going to be this strange dynamic, and yet the more you do it, the more comfortable you will be, and the more natural it will become. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource. It's available in whatever app store or the device that you're utilizing. And once you've downloaded the Bible app, you can utilize the events feature within it, either by enabling your locations or typing in zip code 54201. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5 in just a minute. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up what we've called brand new. And brand new has been a look at what happens when we make the decision to follow after Jesus. And what we saw right off the bat is the moment we make the decision to give our lives to Jesus, the moment we make the decision to follow him, we are new creations. God changes us and he makes us brand new people. The old is gone, the new has come. That happens in an instant. We are brand new. And then we saw that God isn't done with us at that time. God doesn't just make us new and then peace out of our lives, but God is actively involved and engaged in our lives, so much so that Jesus is a mediator between us and God the Father, that he's actively invested in our lives and he's reporting to God the Father everything that's going on and, and what we're doing and that he cares about us. And all this is possible, not because we're awesome people, not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, not because we can buy it, but all this is possible because of a free gift to us. God in his graciousness 
offers us this, not because of anything we can do, but it is God's gift to us. And out of, out of our appreciation for that, we should live our lives to honor God, that God is for us, that he loves us, that he wants to be invested and engaged in our lives, that he is actively for us. And he's given us all talents, gifts, and abilities to use to bring us closer to him and to bring other people closer to him as well in the process. And so we should utilize those talents and gifts and abilities that we have in serving God and serving other people. That following Jesus is a life, not just of a list of things that we can't do, that some of you may have grown up in an environment like that, where following God could be reduced down to this list, that if you're a Christian, you don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this. But what we saw as a life of following Jesus was never meant to be limited to things that we can't do. Yeah, there are some things we shouldn't do as a result of the fact that we follow Jesus. There are also all these incredible things that God has called us to do and that a life of following Jesus is, is doing and utilizing those things as well. And then last week we saw that the best way to connect with the heart of God and understand the heart of God is to engage with him in scripture. So that's where we've been. And now today we're going to look at the most important conversations in your life, the most important conversations in your life. And these are conversations between you and your creator. And what we're going to see today, I really hope, will challenge you to, to look, at, look at prayer in a whole new light and to analyze, is this part of my life? And if not, that we'll give you some tools that you can easily make this part of your life and that it will enhance your spiritual journey and change the way that your life works. So that's where we're going to be today in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, when this is Jesus speaking, where we read these words. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now the first thing we see is this idea that Jesus presents is when you pray. This is not an if statement. It's not if you pray. The expectation of Jesus is that we would be people who pray. And that's the first thing I want you to wrestle with today is, is your life defined as, are you somebody who prays? Is that an, is that an active part of your life? Is prayer a part of your life or is prayer the last resort? Is prayer when everything else that you've tried and exhausted doesn't work and you're tired of cussing and you've thrown everything you can throw and you've hit the thing that's frustrated you so many times that it hurts your hand now and you're just like, oh, I've got nothing else to do. Is that the time that you go to God in prayer? Do you pray to God before a meal just because it was something that you grew up with and even though you're about to invest ingest 3,000 calories, God somehow is going to magically make that a good nutrient meal for you because you, you usher over a prayer of it? Or is, is that what your prayer life looks like? Or is this a part of your everyday routine? Is this a part of, of something where you are excited to pray and not begrudging and not only when everything else has tried, you've tried and failed, but is this part of something that you look forward to? Is this something that you engage with? Is this something that you do right off the bat? That's the first question that you have to wrestle with and answer for yourself is how much value do you put on prayer? And the answer will be, one of the indicators of the answer will be based on the frequency. How often do you pray? And when you pray, 
When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So the very first thing we see outside of the fact that we should be praying is that prayer is not a performance. Prayer isn't a performance. God is not impressed, and, and, and prayer is not meant to be something that you do to be seen by others. In fact, Jesus says a prayer that is done in that style, a prayer that is done that way, has no value whatsoever. Because he tells them, truly I say, they've received their reward. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. The entire point of the prayer was performance. The entire point of the prayer was to be seen. Okay, congratulations, Jesus says. They've been seen. That's it. That's it. They've received their reward. That's all the further I'm going with this, Jesus says. It does no good. Prayer is not meant to be a performance. And then he goes on. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The next, the next thing we realize is that prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. That you go into your room, you shut your door, and you pray to the Father who is in the secret, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer isn't a performance. Prayer is personal. Now, you might be scratching your head then and saying, well, is there ever an allowance or is it ever okay to pray in public? Because it might seem, based on these verses, that it's not. Well, we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that Jesus himself prayed in public. We know from the Old Testament, Daniel made it a point. When the king outlawed any, any, religious, any religious action, that Daniel made it a point to still pray to God in defiance of the king's decree. So what do we do with this? Does that mean that Daniel shouldn't have prayed? And we know Jesus is perfect, so certainly Jesus should have prayed in public. So what does this mean? And it gets to the heart. It gets to the heart of the matter that God is primarily concerned with our hearts. That prayer is to be something that's personal. It isn't meant to be done as a performance. It isn't meant to be done to be seen by others. But sometimes God will lay things on your heart that can be done in public. Sometimes that moment will require for you to pray. And there's nothing wrong with that. God isn't mad at you for that. But God wants it to be authentic, and he wants it to be real, and he wants it to be a moment between you and him. And it isn't about public consumption. It isn't about what everybody else can see and perceive. We've already been told that prayer, the prayer that is done with, with that heart behind it, is worthless. But God desires authentic prayers. And so that's what Jesus is getting at. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. God wants you to be yourself when you pray. God wants you to be yourself when you pray, and God wants you to get to the point. Now, why? God's eternal. What does he care? God wants you to get to the point. Now, some of you have scars like I have from childhood, and you can remember Sunday night or Wednesday night and being drugged to church, and you're like, I just want to watch the game. I don't want to go back. Like, and then they have the prayer meeting and the person in the second row is praying for the 15 unspoken prayer requests that have been mentioned. And they're just trying to, they're just trying to come up with every possible phrasing they can think of to impress God. And you're like, just get me out of here. And then you slowly realize we haven't even hit the third row yet. I'm not going to get to see the game tonight. 
And what we see here from Jesus is that's never been the design of prayer. That's never been what God desires. God desires us to be authentic, that prayer is personal. God desires us to be ourselves, that we don't have to, we don't have to change the way we talk when we pray. It isn't a courtroom. We don't have to approach God as, as though he's the judge and, and say everything in legal jargon. We don't have to say everything in informal. We can be ourselves in the words that we speak, in the words that we utilize. God desires a conversation with us that is real, that is personal, that is authentic, where we get to the point. God's not impressed by the length of our prayers. It's what we see here from Jesus and then he just hammers this point home. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And here we see another incredible principle, that God already knows what we need before we even pray about it. God is already aware of what's on our minds and what's on our hearts. And one of the roadblocks to prayer is this. You're going through life, and all of a sudden something happens that you don't understand. A situation or a circumstance occurs in your life and you don't understand why it is you're experiencing that situation or that circumstance. Frequently it's a time of suffering, but now it's part of your life and here you are. And truth be told, you're angry. You are angry at God. You do not understand why God is doing what he's doing. You do not understand why God will not intervene in the way that you want him to intervene. You don't understand what all God's up to. And honestly, there's just that level that builds and builds and builds within you of frustration and disappointment with God. And oftentimes what happens when we experience that frustration and that disappointment from God, when we experience these roadblocks in our lives, is we just decide, you know what? I'm not even going to pray. I'm not even going to pray. We think somehow that if we verbalize with God our frustration and our disappointment with Him, that the Creator of us and the Creator of everything can't handle us telling Him how we authentically feel. And so we're going to keep our frustration and our disappointment from God. But what happens is the enemy comes and he utilizes that as a tool, that now we just stop praying. And all of a sudden, that resentment and that disappointment and that anger just continues to fester and it continues to build and it continues to grow within our soul. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that season today, or if you've been in that season for a really long time and you find yourself in a rut, I just want to encourage you, you might as well tell God because he already knows anyway. He's already intimately aware. And he can handle it. God knows what you're feeling. God knows what you're experiencing. God knows what we need before we even ask him for it. So right off the bat, Jesus gives us the parameters. The prayer isn't a performance. That's personal. That it's meant to be authentic. That we can just be ourselves and it's meant to be communication with a God who knows what we need and who loves us and cares about us. And now Jesus is going to get into the specifics. And this has traditionally been called the Lord's Prayer. Some of you have this hanging up in your house or your grandparents had it hanging up in, in their houses. And what this is, is Jesus is teaching us how to pray. It was never designed to be a formula that we repeat back to him. But what Jesus is doing is he's teaching us how to pray. 
when we go through this, and we're going to do just that as we start now in Matthew 6, verse 9, where we read these words. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right off the bat, Jesus tells us, you have this incredible personal dynamic between you and your creator. You have this incredible personal dynamic between you and the God of the universe that you are to look to God as your father. And I understand some of you have come from a broken home. You've come from a very dysfunctional home environment. And this can be really hard for you. You've got father wounds that you carry to this day. And for you to wrap your mind around this is something that's incredibly difficult because it it carries with it all the negative connotations that you experienced growing up. That a father wasn't present in your life. That a father didn't provide for your family as a father should. That a father was, he was abrasive and, and he was harsh and he, he wasn't invested or engaged in your life. And if you grow up and you don't have any of those father wounds, you have an incredible advantage. But I just want to encourage you, if you have grown up with these father wounds, I just want to invite you to remember that God loves you and he cares about you. And when Jesus says to call on God as our Father, he's talking about every positive aspect that fatherhood should bring. And if you didn't experience that in your life, I am so incredibly sorry that you didn't get to experience that in your life. And God's incredibly sorry. And God's desire is that you would experience that. And I just want to encourage you, if you carry father wounds to this day, just know this, that you have a spiritual father who is everything good, that your father should have been and wasn't. That our spiritual father loves us, he knows us, he cares about us, he is concerned with us, he provides for us, he does all of these things. And because of the relational dynamic that we have with God, we have incredible access to God. We have incredible access to God. Sometimes people will call me and I can't get to it right away because I'm in a meeting or I'm I'm working on other things. If my kids call me, I'm taking that call. Unapologetically, I'm taking that call. If I know it's my kids and they're calling me, it doesn't matter what else is going on. I'm taking that call because I love them and I'm engaged and invested in their lives and I want to hear from them. And I don't care if it's just for them to tell me something that went on at school or if it's for them to tell me about a video game that they want me to buy or if it's about something that they want me to do. I want to hear from them and I love them and I value them and that's our relationship. And we have that relationship with God, our Creator. That, that I love to sit down and, and watch NASCAR with my youngest son. I, I, NASCAR makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. I mean, it rivals golf in a great Sunday afternoon thing to take a nap to. But I just, I don't fathom it all. We're just driving in circles hundreds of times. And it's, it's great to nap until there's a wreck. And then he wakes me up with the excitement of, of that from the wreck. And then I watch it for a little bit and drift back to sleep. But I watch NASCAR now. I don't care who wins there. I don't care about the races. But I watch NASCAR with him because he loves NASCAR. And we can talk about it. Our oldest son, he started watching hockey. I'd never watched a hockey game in my life. Somehow he, he found the NHL and he loves hockey. And now I watch hockey. 
I enjoy hockey a lot more than I enjoy NASCAR, but I, I now watch hockey and I, I talk to him about hockey because it's something that he's interested in. It's something that he likes. It's a way for us to spend time together. That's the dynamic that we have as his father and as my son. That is personal, that God cares about the little things that are going on in our lives, the things that nobody else might seem to worry about or care about or be concerned with or even know that are going on. God is intimately aware of every detail in our lives, and he knows what's going on and what we're facing and what we're doing. And, and people sometimes ask me, hey, have you, ever, uh, have you ever fallen asleep when you pray? Yep, sure have. They're like, do you feel bad about it? No. Like, why? Well, my kids have fallen asleep in my arms. I mean, not anymore. They're way too big for that now. Now I'm like, hey, let's leave a cushion, all right? You want that? Like, go, go talk to your mom. I'm, I'm not going to hold you anymore. They're nine and seven. They're, they're self-sufficient, all right? But, but I, when they were little, and I would hold them, and we would talk sometimes, and, and they would fall asleep. I was never like, hey, wake up, dude. We're talking. I was just happy to spend time with them and to be invested and engaged in their lives. And what I want to do is remove, remove this guilt that some of you may feel and some of you may experience with this idea of prayer. And I want to remind you of all of the good benefits that a child should have with their father. And that's what we have with our spiritual father, God, that he loves to hear from us. He loves the little details that are on our minds and on our hearts. That God isn't angry at us, that He loves us and He desires to have a conversation with you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I know most of us have dropped hallowed in a conversation this week uh, regularly, but the idea of this is just that, that God is honored. Yeah, we have this incredible, familiar, dynamic with God that's available to us that is absolutely incredible. But at the same time, we remember who God is, what He's capable of in all of His goodness, and we hold Him in respect and we honor Him. We have personal, we have personal access to God, but we are aware of the greatness of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer starts with our recognition and acceptance that God's ways are, are better, that we have this incredible dynamic, incredible relationship with God, and His ways are better, hallowed, honored, revered, respected. Are you God? And what this, what this reminds us to do is that we remember how much greater God is than ourselves. That while we are limited, God is limitless. And in our own limitations, we recognize and we realize, I might not always have the best way. I might not always have the best answer. I might not always be right. And so we meet our limit. And then we're reminded of the limitless nature of God. And where we meet our limit, we cry out to God, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means there are going to be times that we don't understand what God's up to. There are going to be times we don't understand why God doesn't intervene. There will be times we just feel and are reminded of our own limitations. And that happens sometimes individually, and it happens collectively. 
happens individually when we find ourselves in a circumstance or a situation that we can't, we can't accomplish what we want to accomplish, and it happens collectively in situations like this week where we sit by and there's nothing we can do as we watch Russia and Ukraine go to war. And these are reminders to us that we are limited. And in those moments, fear is not the answer. Though fear may try to come and fill us, the answer for us is to cry out to our Father and to be reminded that while we have limitations, God is limitless, that He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, He's able to change people's hearts and minds. And while we may not understand what God is up to, He is still in control. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And prayer invites us to not just be aware of our limitations, but to acknowledge them and embrace them. That We are limited, but we serve a God who is limitless. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayers to be regular this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayers to be regular. And God cares about our needs. God cares about our needs. He cares about the things that we need. He cares about the things that are pressing on our minds. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Prayer reminds us of our weakness. Prayer reminds us of our weakness. It reminds us of the incredible grace and mercy that God has given to us. That the God that we serve who created us and loves us in spite of the fact that we have rebelled against Him has still offered a relationship with us. That He has seen us in the messes that we have all made and the mistakes that we've all made and chooses to still love us anyway. And God has forgiven us of our mistakes, of our weaknesses. And in light of understanding all that God has done for us and how God has seen us in our mistakes, He's seen us in our weaknesses, and He's still chosen to forgive us. He's still chosen to offer us His grace and His mercy. The response of our hearts should be in light of the mercy and grace that God has given us and His forgiveness is we must be people who are empathetic to recognize the weakness of others. That in light of the forgiveness that we have experienced for what God has forgiven us of, we must be people who are quick to recognize and be empathetic of the weaknesses of others and to realize that they need the same grace and mercy that we ourselves have needed. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer is a plea. Prayer is a plea for help to do the right thing, recognizing that there are times we will all choose to do what we shouldn't. Even in light of the fact that God has forgiven us, even in light of the fact that we have received grace, even in light of the fact that we serve an incredible God, we are still flawed people and we will make choices that we should not make. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now on the heels of Jesus teaching us what prayer is all about, not only teaching us what prayer is all about, but teaching us how to actively do it, on the heels of all of this, Jesus launches into a discussion on forgiveness. And he ties this idea of forgiveness directly into prayer, which is fascinating when he writes, or when when he recorded these words. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now I want to read this again. Because there is great room for misunderstanding. And the implications here are incredibly important. So I'm going to read these two verses again before we pull them apart. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So does this mean... Does this mean that somehow we can earn our way into being a Christian? Does this mean that somehow we can earn our way into faith if we are people that, that by forgiving other people, we have earned our faith? We've earned the ability to become followers of Jesus? Is that what he's discussing here? Well, we know that's not the case because as we looked a few weeks ago, what we saw is that our salvation The hope of following Jesus is given to us, not because of anything that we've done, but it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast, but it is exclusively and completely of God offered to us, and our response must be to accept that gift of grace and faith, but all of our salvation is a work through Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus getting across here? When he says that in order for us to be forgiven, we must forgive others. And what Jesus is talking about here is this, that truly experiencing God's forgiveness, truly experiencing God's forgiveness makes it so we must forgive other people. We have no other choice. When we have truly experienced the forgiveness of God, when we look in light of all of our mistakes, when we look in light of all of our shortcomings, when we look in light of all of our failures, and we see that God still loves us and He offers us forgiveness even in light of all the mistakes that we've made and the messes that we've made, when we've really experienced that and we've truly come to terms with what that means, and we really experience that forgiveness, we have no other choice but to forgive others because we have been so marked and we have been so shaped by God's forgiveness of us. It is just our natural response to forgive other people because we remember what God has forgiven us of. Now, forgiveness is letting go of the wrong done to us from someone else. Forgiveness is letting go of the wrong done to us from someone else. And I know some of you have been through horrific things, things that no human should ever have to endure. 
Some of you have been through the most heartbreaking of circumstances and situations and our hearts break and they grieve for the wickedness and the evil that, that you have had to endure in your life. And this idea of forgiveness has gotten even more complicated because frequently attached to forgiveness are the ideas of reconciliation and restoration. But reconciliation and restoration are completely different than forgiveness. We're going to talk about that for just a minute. Because God has required that we forgive everyone, but God has not required for us to be reconciled to everyone. And frankly, there are times where it is unwise to go about being reconciled or restored to somebody. Forgiveness is letting go of the wrong that has been done to us. Reconciliation and restoration, that occurs later. But let's talk about forgiveness just for a moment. Forgiveness deals with the past. Forgiveness deals with what has already been done, and it deals with the past. And forgiveness means that we no longer hold something actively against someone. Because when we have been victimized, what happens is a weight has been put upon us. And whether you realize it or not, you carry that weight. The wrong and the hurt somebody put upon you. You carry that. And until you forgive, you lug that weight around you every single day. And what's incredibly unfair is that the person who wronged you doesn't have to bear that weight. But you, the person who's been wronged, has to carry that every single day until you forgive. And when you forgive, you let go. You let go of the weight that only you has been carrying. You let go of the weight that you've taken with you. It doesn't mean you're reconciled. It doesn't mean you're restored. What it means is that you're actively saying, I'm no longer holding this against you. I'm letting it go. Reconciliation and restoration, that occurs when the other person apologizes. That occurs when the other person apologizes and accepts responsibility for their actions. And we all know that there are, there are circumstances in our lives where we have been wrong and somebody just will not accept that responsibility. And my, my strong advice to you is if you find yourself in that situation, that there shouldn't be reconciliation, there shouldn't be restoration. There must be forgiveness. But if you invite reconciliation and restoration into the process Without repentance, without apology, you are setting yourself up. For them to break your heart all over again. Yes, God would always desire reconciliation, but it's dependent upon somebody else also recognizing their faults, their failures. You don't have an option. You do not have an option about forgiveness. 
Reconciliation and restoration, that's entirely different. But here on the heels of Jesus talking to us about what prayer is and how to do it, he introduces this idea about forgiveness. And I just want to challenge you. If you're walking through life and you feel like, you know, God, he seems so distant. And it isn't because you're praying. Well, there's your answer. Communicate. But if you are praying and you feel like, you know, God just, he still seems really distant. He still seems really far. Then I'm just going to challenge you. Investigate your heart. And ask yourself the question, am I carrying the weight of something I need to let go? In light of all that God's forgiven me of, do I need to forgive someone else? Is it time to just let it go? And in the quietness of this moment, in your heart, I hope you'll wrestle with that and answer that question. God, thanks for being a God who loves us, for being a God who wants to communicate with us, and for making it so that prayer isn't a performance that is personal, and we don't have to pretend to be something we're not, that we can just be our authentic selves, that there isn't some magic formula, there isn't a special vocabulary, God, you just desire us to be real and authentic. And thank you for that incredible privilege. God, that we can call on you as a father, a father who loves us and provides for us, who cares about us, wants to be invested and engaged in our lives. For being in control, for being limitless, when we are incredibly limited for caring about our needs, for offering us forgiveness, for being the same God who loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, raised again three days later, and God being interested and invested in our lives. I pray God will be honest with you. In the moments where we rejoice, that we rejoice in the moments we don't understand what you're doing and we're frustrated and disappointed in you, God, that we would just be honest with you about our frustration and our disappointment. But we wouldn't use that as a roadblock to being people of prayer. And God, just that we would, in light of all that you've forgiven us from, we'd forgive others. Help us find that freedom of letting go and no longer carrying the weight that we only ourselves are carrying. We ask Jesus, in your name we do pray.